Well, good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace Church. It is good to gather with you here in this room and gather with those that are joining us online this morning. Before we get into the sermon text and the sermon this morning, I want to I want to do two things uh, briefly. First, uh, I know obviously we know this is the last Sunday in January, and we've uh, told you about just kind of what we're doing as it relates to COVID over this last month. I want to give you a heads up that uh, we're going to be sending out an update on that this coming week via email. So please be on the lookout for that uh, as we talk about what we're doing in the next month or so. You know, as Mark mentioned last week, uh, we all recognize that there are a lot of different thoughts and feelings and opinions on all things as it relates to COVID. And it's been challenging for us as elders to kind of navigate through this. We have a desire to faithfully shepherd the flock of God entrusted to us and it's among us. And God's given us grace to help us come to conclusions and directions on that. But I mentioned to a member recently, it's been kind of like trying to build a plane in the midst of flying it at the same time, uh, which if you've ever tried to do that is a little challenging and difficult along the way, but God's helped us through that. So thank you for praying for us. Thank you for your patience along the way. Just wanna encourage us to continue to be prayerful and continue to be patient with one another, remembering we are all brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. Second, I just wanna take a moment as we begin our time together in God's word, just to pray. To pray a pastoral prayer where we come before the Lord and I can pray on behalf of us as a church for different things going on in our community and things going outside in the world around us. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we thank you that we can come before you with anything and everything in our lives. And God, we thank you that you are a safe place and person to bring all of our thoughts and all of our feelings, whatever they happen to be. You are God and you are good. So today, God, I wanna pray for several things going on that are important to us as a church. And God, I begin by just giving thanks to you. Thanks for blessing the students and leaders that just went to our 515 reboot camp this last weekend. God, we thank you for helping them to see Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's been a part of your plan since the beginning to send him as our Redeemer. And I thank you that you helped them to see that in your word and blessing their fellowship with one another. God, I pray that there would be much fruit in the lives of each student that went, not only in their own relationship with you, but as they engage their friends, as they engage their family with the things that they've learned. God, we also this morning give you thanks for blessing Mark and Edward's trip to Rancho 3M in Mexico. God, thank you for watching over them physically and spiritually. Thank you for bringing them home safely. God, we praise you for a good trip. We praise you for what you've done there in those few short days that they had. And we pray now for wisdom, wisdom for the ranch, wisdom for our church and how we can continue to partner together to make much of Jesus in Mexico. And God, we long to see the gospel go forward. We long to see our neighbors come to know Christ. And we thank you, God, that we're not in this alone. We thank you for the many faithful churches in and around the DC metro area, many of which we get to partner with. And today we wanna to pray for Mercy of Christ Fellowship, a church plant in DC that we get to support and encourage and see what you're doing in their midst. And God, this week in particular, they're grieving over tragedy of the loss of life, murder in their neighborhood. God, would you encourage them and help them? I pray for Jeremy as he leads and pastors, would you give him strength and endurance in that? And God, I thank you that the young man that passed away had a relationship with you. 
God, I pray that you comfort his family and allow that church community to be a light in the midst of a dark place in a dark time. God, we pray for revival and spiritual awakening to take place in Lincoln Heights. And God, we praise you that you're not a local deity, but you are a global God. And we long not only for our neighbors to come to know you, but the nations as well. So Father, today we want to pray for the unreached Uyghur people, a people group who's been persecuted and discouraged along the way, many of which have had to leave their home. And in your providence, God, many have come to this place. God, we thank you for the opportunity to get to know our neighbors. And God, we pray that the gospel would go forward amongst the Uyghur people, that their story would be one of redemption and grace. God, would you give them ears to hear and eyes to see? And sovereign Lord, there's much going on in our world today. Many, many things that we could pray about this morning. But today I want to pray for the growing tensions in Europe between Russia and Ukraine and neighboring countries. God, we pray for peace, not for war. We pray for wisdom. God, we pray for resolution. And God, I pray specifically for the church there. Would you help our brothers and sisters that are in the Ukraine, that are in Russia and in the European countries, God, would you, pray, would you comfort them and give them wisdom, help them to be faithful. And may the gospel go forward in those places as well. And God, you're a good father. So we come before you as your children, as brothers and sisters, and pray for members of our church. Father, this morning, I pray for those that are feeling lonely today. Would you give them hope and strength, help them to know that they're not alone but they're a part of a family. God, I pray for the sick in our midst, those that have chronic illness or are just dealing with acute sickness right now. God, I pray that you would comfort them and bring healing to their bodies. And even in the midst of their suffering, God, would they trust you. And God, I pray for the downcast and discouraged this morning. God, give them hope, help them to see the light of the gospel and the gloriousness of Christ, even in the midst of difficulty right now. And God, I pray for the wandering. Would you please bring them back to you? Father, I pray that we would be a community that's marked by our love for one another. I pray that we'd be a community that's only explainable because of the gospel, because it's taken such deep root in our lives that it impacts everything we think and say and do and how we do life together. Give us wisdom, God, as we navigate all that's going on in life, all that's going on in this world. Help us to be patient. Help us to be wise, help us to believe the best, and help us hold fast to Jesus. And Father, I pray that now as we open up your word, that you would be glorified. Help us to see and to hear what you have for us today by the work of your spirit. May your word come alive for us today and transform us even now and as we head out into this world this week. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Now I'd like to invite Molly up. She's going to be reading our sermon text this morning. 1 John 1 through 5. 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in our world, uh, we love looking for identity in all kinds of places. Identity is about who you are. It's about how you view yourself. It's about how those around you view you and think of you. And often, when we think about identity, it's tied to things that we like or things that we do or a role that we fulfill. Take me, for instance. I can say I am a husband, a father, a pastor, a member of Redeeming Grace Church, a Nationals fan. All of those things are identity kinds of statements. And identity gives us a sense of self. It grounds us in something and says something about us. But we also like when our identity connects us to other people. When we can say not just I am, but we are. When our identity is the same as someone else's, it gives us a sense of belonging against a a sense of connectedness and community. And we see this in all different places in life and even in popular culture, sometimes serious and sometimes silly. Maybe remember the movie from a few years ago called We Are Marshall that talked about the tragedy that took place at Marshall University and how that brought this community together to be united with one another. If you're a fan of classic rock, We Are the Champions by Queen. Or for anybody who's ever been to a wedding before, We Are Family by Sister Sledge. And if you ever watch TV, we are farmers. Bum, ba, dum, bum, 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 bum. Right? The use of the first person plural we makes me feel like I'm not alone. It makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. When it comes to our identity in Christ, there is both an I am and we are aspect to this as well. You and I are saved as individuals when we as individuals repent of our sin, when we turn away from disobedience and turn to faith in Christ. But God doesn't just leave us there. We don't remain individuals. We're not left to ourselves. We're saved into a community, saved into the church, the body of Christ. We as the church are called to live out this identity in Christ together for our collective good and the glory of God. Well, as we come to our text today in 1 John, we're coming to the beginning of the end of this letter. A letter that the Apostle John has been writing to a group of struggling Christians. A local church who's finding themselves discouraged and distracted, being pulled away from their faith with false ideas about what it means to know God and misinformation about what it means to follow Jesus. And what we see John doing is, is coming back to our identity, to who we are. And within this, he highlights another aspect of identity that is collectively ours in Christ. And it's this, we are overcomers. We are overcomers. Now for a people who are discouraged or distracted or disenchanted, living life in trying to follow Jesus in a world that is set against him, this is a source of great encouragement. Because what we overcome, John says, is the world. But what we'll learn is is that we are not overcomers by might or by our intellect, not by ability or our belongings. We are overcomers by our multifaceted, interconnected faith. A faith that manifests itself in these three things, these three tests that John has brought to our attention over and over again throughout this letter. Our belief, 
our love and our obedience. Three things that are the fruit of a new life that we have in and through Jesus. Three things that the world cannot come against. Listen, it's hard to remain steadfast. It's hard to remain steadfast. And if you are in Christ, you are a sojourner in exile. This place is not your home. And that can cause dissonance within yourself, difficulty in this life. I know it does for me. But you are here and I am here. And in God's providence, this is the time and the place in which you live. And we can all use encouragement then. We can all use help to keep moving forward in faith and faithfulness as we seek to live life along the way until Jesus comes again or calls us home. And so if you will truly listen and lean in and heed John's exhortation in our text today, you can find encouragement and you can find help. So let's dive into 1 John chapter 5 this morning and may God bless the preaching of his word. John begins this section here introducing the first of these three parts of our faith, talking about our belief. Look at the beginning of verse 1. John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, all of us have a date on a calendar that marks when we came into this world from the darkness of our mother's womb. Our birthday. Mine is in April. Here, John talks about being born, but this is a different kind of birth. It's not about when you were born into this world physically, but about spiritual birth. That's what it means to be born of God. See, when you were born into this world, you came into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. What this means is, is that you are born into this world in rebellion to God, with no desire and no capacity to follow him or obey him. You willingly seek to go your own way, asserting your own independence and autonomy over and against God and his design for you. Now, God could have left us to ourselves and our own devices and the consequences that would come from that, but God is full of loving kindness and he's full of mercy. And so God made a way to rescue us out of darkness. God made a way to redeem us out of this death. And it comes by the gift of grace. In Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul speaks to this. He says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, just as a physically dead person can't act or do anything, so a spiritually dead person can't believe or obey. But when God gives you ears to hear, and God gives you eyes to see, when God gives you life, with that comes the recognition of how desperate you are for grace, how desperate you are for redemption. With that comes the recognition of your need for repentance, to turn away from your sin and your ability to believe. So what John is saying here in verse one is that this belief, not that Jesus is a good teacher, not that Jesus is one of many ways to get to God, but that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, the son of God and the savior of the world. That belief is a sign of real spiritual life. It's a sign of evidence that you are born of God. If you believe, it's because of God. It's because of God. 
This isn't just about good theology. No, our new birth transforms everything for us. If you are born of God, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and death and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And with that now comes a new identity. With that now comes new direction and new desires, a new way of living your life. Which leads John to reiterate the importance not only of our belief, but of our love. Look at all of verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. John is saying, if you have really been born of God, if you really believe and follow him, you will not only love the Father who has saved you, but you'll also love your brothers and sisters whom he has saved also. Why? Because we're all a part of this family now. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, united together in him with God as our Father. Our love for one another is something that John has exhorted us multiple times in this letter to be about. Just over the last two Sundays, you've heard these things from John. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. John's point then is that the genuineness of your faith, of being a Christian, is indicated not only by what you believe, but also how you love one another. Since we've preached on this over the last two Sundays, I'm not going to spend a lot of time and detail on this. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons from the last two weeks, especially if you missed them, but even if you were here, to continue to be challenged by God's word and call to love one another. But church, we have to understand something, that loving one another is of preeminent importance for those who follow King Jesus. It's not an add-on. John's trying to connect the dots here for us, bringing all these things together. If we are going to be faithful in this life, he wants us to continue to see that what we believe isn't about head knowledge. It's not just about gaining more theological understanding. It impacts how we love one another, but not just how we love one another, but how we live our life in all areas, which leads to the next point, our obedience. Look at verse two. John writes, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, at first glance, when I was reading this this week and spending some time in it, it was kind of a confusing sentence for me. What we might expect John to say here is, by this we know that we love God when we love one another. I mean, that'd be consistent with what John's been saying and sharing before, but that's not what he says. Let me read it again. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So what's going on here? Well, if we love one another, and that's evidence of genuine faith, someone might be wondering or thinking, how can I know if I'm really loving people in the way that God's called me to? Like, how do I know if I pass the test or not? And subtly within that, it can kind of be like, what's the bare minimum? Did anybody ever take pass-fail class in high school or college? Right, you don't need to get an A. <laughs> you just gotta get across the line. So we could have that same mentality when it comes to loving one another. What's the bare minimum? How do I know if I pass the test or not? It reminds me of the similar question that the lawyer asks Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Jesus has affirmed the call for all of us to love God above all and to love our neighbor as ourself. And then it says this, the lawyer desiring to justify himself. 
okay, I get it, but what, what's, I just want to know, what's past fail for me? Asks Jesus this question, and who is my neighbor? How do I get by? So John is helping us see that, yes, we are called to love one another, but it always starts with our love for God, which he tells us in verse 3 means that we keep his commandments. So this is the point. This is what John is saying here. The most loving thing that you can do for one another, the most loving thing you can do for the people sitting around you this morning, those that are in your community group, those that are gathering online at a distance right now, long to be here together with us, the most loving thing you can do for one another is to love and obey God. To love and obey God. Why? How? Because God is good. And he's the sovereign Lord over all of creation. And Jesus is the sustainer and the king of his kingdom. We are living in his domain. If you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, you're not in your own kingdom now. You're in his kingdom. And he calls us how and tells us how to live. See, when Jesus invades your life and makes you new, he remasters you. He gives you a new heart that no longer lives for yourself, but for Christ who now calls you to follow him, the one who loves God and loves others perfectly. He gives you a new and better way to live. See, love of one another certainly shows our love for God, but love of God enables you to love one another. It enables you because he calls you to it and he empowers you to do it. He shows you how to live and how to love. And his word his life-giving word is full of commands for us, directions for us of how we're to treat one another, how we're to do good for one another, how to live life together. There are some 35 one another commandments in the New Testament alone. And anytime we see that phrase one another, it's not talking about the wider world. It's talking about our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. In Ephesians chapter four and Colossians chapter three, Paul there in both of those places talks about this idea of putting off the old self, the old self that's marked by self-focus and self-interest and self-preservation, and instead to put on the new self, the new self which comes about when we are born of God. Let me read part of Colossians 3 for us this morning. Even just this, if you just sit and soak in this for a minute for this week, whatever it happens to be, just to ask God to help you to do these kinds of things. Paul writes this, put on then as God's chosen ones, those that he's made alive, holy and beloved, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, but above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. In one body. And be thankful. See, all of these commands, all of them guide us. All of them direct us in our life together as God's people. And none of them are meant to be overwhelming. None of them are meant to be crushing. But instead, freeing. Look at the end of verse three, and he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Loving God and loving others in the way that God calls us to do that is not burdensome, but it doesn't mean it isn't challenging, right? I mean, sin still remains within us. We can still 
be selfish at times. People are complex, ourselves included. Community can be messy. But I wonder if sometimes the reason that we struggle with obedience in all parts of life and certainly in the area of loving one another is because, if we're honest, we just don't like being told what to do. We hear the word commandments and it can sound like a a four-letter word to us. We're brought up on rugged individualism. So we don't like the idea of being under authority. But perhaps that's because we don't understand or we forget who God is and we forget who we are now in him. If you are in Christ, you once were alienated and alone. You were dead in your sin. But as we were just reminded, God made you alive and he transformed your identity and he made you a part of this new kingdom and new community. And King Jesus now invites you to follow him in obedience. He invites you to follow him because he is gentle and lowly in heart and all of his call and all of his commands are easy and light compared to anything else. So we have to remember the character and nature of our God and our King. John told us he is love and he's a benevolent King full of grace and full of truth. And his commands for you are always for your good and always for your joy. They're not helpful suggestions. They're not man-made hoops for you to jump through in order to have your best life now. They are God-given guidance to live a life that is pleasing to him, that is for your good and for his glory. This all goes back to what John said at the beginning of chapter 2. In 1 John 2, 5 and 6, he says, By this we may know that we are in him. If you want to know if you're a Christian or not, if you really have new life in him, he says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It should be actually following Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this means that our obedience is not optional. It's not optional. It really matters. It really matters because it evidences whether or not you're really a Christian. Not because you earn grace by being obedient, but it's an evidence of God's work in your life. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it all right all the time or you're going to be perfect, but it displays the reality of a transformed and transforming life that's only possible because Jesus is the Son and Jesus is the Savior. This hit me hard this week. I recognize that when I disobey, it affects me, it affects my, my life. And it certainly affects my relationship with God. I feel disconnected from him. I feel like there's a rift in the relationship when I choose to walk in disobedience instead of obedience. But then something I was thinking about this week is, man, it affects my relationships. It affects other people. My my disobedience isn't just contained within me. It's like a radioactive leak. It's a toxic to, to healthy relationships and healthy community. And then if I'm honest, sometimes I just, I don't like to obey. I I don't want to. I want to do whatever it is that I want to do. When I choose to do that, though, it affects my marriage. It affects my relationship with my kids. It affects my relationships with my coworkers and my community. Listen, when you see your sin or your faith is only personal or only between you and God, you miss the reality of your new identity, that you are born again into the family of God. And your new identity lived out in community is what this is all about. It's what John's been writing about throughout this letter. 
Look, the whole letter of John has been talking about these three things. It's been talking about our belief, our love, and our obedience. But oftentimes we can look at these three things and see them as being disconnected from one another. That, yes, they're all important, but we don't see how they're interrelated. But the reality is they are interconnected. They make up our multifaceted faith. They're tied together. That's what makes our faith what it is. It's where our identity in Christ is at the center of that. Our belief, our love, and obedience come together, united together in this way with Jesus at the center. And so John wants us to see that. He wants us to see how all these things connect together, not only to prove that we actually have a relationship with Jesus, but how it affects the entirety of our lives. That we can't live compartmentalized lives where our faith is picked off in these ways in an a la carte way. No, he wants us to see that and, and he wants us to rest in the glorious result of this kind of faith. That when we live out our multifaceted faith and live in our new identity, it's then that we are overcomers. We're overcomers. Look at verses four and five. He starts verse four off with the word for. He's connecting all this back here. He says, for everyone who has been born of God, who's been made new in Christ, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And we all love an underdog story, right? Makes for great stories, great movies. A few that come to mind for me, the movie Invincible, Cinderella Man, or a favorite, the whole trilogy, The Mighty Ducks. If you haven't watched that in a minute, you should go check it out. Right? We love these stories where a person or a team who seemingly has no chance of winning, who has no chance of victory, overcomes the obstacles and comes out victorious in the end. Brother, sister, if you are in Christ, you are an overcomer. We are overcomers. How? Because we trained really well, because we know all the right answers, because we got it all right, because we're smarter or better than someone else. No, the victory that has overcome the world is your new identity in Christ that comes about through this multifaceted faith of your belief, of your love, of your obedience. We are overcomers because we've been born of God. See, this isn't just about right theology. And this isn't just about believing in God. The demons do that. This is about believing God and following him in all of life. It's about allegiance to the overcoming king and his kingdom. We are overcomers because our faith is founded and grounded in the overcomer. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John's talked about the world several times in this letter. When he says world, he's talking about the the attitudes and actions and worldviews that are opposed to God. He's talking about humanity that's organized in rebellion against God, where self is at the center and self is above all. See, Jesus knew that it would be hard for us to live life in this world, that we'd be tempted to wander away from him. The systems and structures and values of a godless world would seek to dissuade you from your belief and from love and from obedience. 
But Jesus didn't leave us to fend or figure it out for ourselves. No, Jesus came to us and overcame for us. He, he looked like the underdog, though. It looked like certain defeat for Jesus as he's arrested by the authorities on trumped-up charges, tried in the sham of a court for something he didn't do. Nothing was wrong in his life, no disobedience and no sin, yet he was sentenced to die a horrible death under the Roman government rule via crucifixion, nailed between, to this cross between two criminals who had actually disobeyed and rebelled. And as Jesus is dying there on the cross with everyone scattering away from him, getting ridiculed and, and spit upon and laughed at and mocked and ridiculed, it looked like defeat in that moment. It looked like Jesus is the underdog. There's no way he's going to become out victorious on, in this reality. And he died and he was buried and his followers are mourning, unsure, uncertain of what's going to happen. But then, but then up from the grave, he rose again. Up from the grave, he rose again. And as we sang last Sunday, what that means for us then is as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Church, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the record of debt that stood against you was canceled. It was paid for in full, as we just sang. How? Because Jesus is our propitiation. He's the one who satisfies the righteous wrath of God. And the result of that for you is that you're set free. The result of that for you is you are now free to obey. Everything has changed for you. And because of that, because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus is doing, we now overcome the world. When we follow him and we walk in obedience to him, seeking to love God and love others more than we love ourselves, the same way he did and the same way he does. See, this is about new life and new identity. Things that are yours in Christ. Things that the world cannot come against. But I want to make sure that we understand something here. Overcoming the world is not about winning culture wars. The people are not the enemy. We battle not against flesh and blood, but cosmic powers and spiritual forces who are over this present darkness. When we are overcomers, this is about enduring and persevering together in the midst of difficulty. It's about continuing to hold fast to King Jesus knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, not now, not ever. See, when we think of being overcomers, we naturally start to think of ourselves like, yeah, me, I'm an overcomer. But this isn't about a focus on us. This is about focusing on him, on the overcomer, our risen king who will never leave us, who will never forsake us and is with us to the very end of the age. I mean, John mentions overcoming the world three times in two verses. He's trying to make a point. Life in this world is challenging. But you can overcome. We can overcome because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And greater than the remnants of the world that remain in you. This has been so helpful for me through the years in my own battles with remaining sin in my life. It's been freeing to know that I don't need to achieve victory. There's nowhere in the New Testament that Jesus calls me to be victorious on my own. But Jesus calls me to obedience, 
And I can be obedient because he was victorious. He gives me his victory. The same is true for you, no matter whatever challenge you're facing right now. Mom of young kids who gets frustrated with her kids or feels inadequate or insufficient to do what God has called you to do. You're beating yourself up over that. You are an overcomer in Christ. You have victory in and through him. You can continue to be faithful in that because God supplies everything you need. For the worker who's in an environment right now, tempted to fit in and go along with unethical behavior in the midst of your workplace, unsure of what to do, you are an overcomer. Your identity is in Christ. You can stand up for what is right and what is good, honoring Christ as you walk in obedience because you're rooted in him. Brother or sister, that's struggling with the same sin again and again and again. You are not defeated. Whatever it is, wherever you are, there is grace for you. You are free and you are forgiven. You can overcome because of who you are in Christ. Christ, the one who says it is finished. So tell yourself that again and again. And tell one another that. And we need each other. We need community. We need relationship to be able to help one another remember who we are in Christ. That our belief and our love and our obedience come together. And it's in that and through that that we together are overcomers. See, overcoming the world isn't so much about what's going on out there, but the worldliness within. With things we struggle with, it's most often manifesting itself in selfishness and self-seeking. Being an overcomer is about freedom from that old self and sin, and it comes by faith in Jesus, our overcomer, the overcomer, the anchor of our soul. All this comes back to why John is writing this letter in the first place, so that you and I can, act, you and I can have assurance, so that you and I can have confidence to continue on in our journey with Jesus. So maybe you feel discouraged right now. Maybe you find yourself being tempted to deconstruct your faith. Maybe Jesus is on the back burner for you. You haven't outright rejected him, but he's not at the center of your life. Maybe you're being wooed by the world to wander away. Wander away from truth and find joy or satisfaction or peace in something or someone else. Maybe you're growing in apathy right now. Maybe you're just weary and tired. Maybe right now your faith doesn't feel very victorious, but rather weak and shaky. Listen, having an overcoming faith won't always look like victory from the world's perspective, but that's okay because we know how the story ends and we follow not a dead savior, but a victorious risen savior who will come again and make all things new. Church, Jesus really is better. He's better than anything this world offers to you because Jesus alone has the words of life. Where else will you go to find that? Where else will you go? So now, rooted in your new identity, follow Jesus in belief, in love, and in obedience. Those things are yours in Christ, and the world cannot come.